0: Well, today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares has invited his lovely wife, Carlyn, to join us in the studio for a discussion on setting healthy boundaries with kids, especially in relation to dating, video games, and social media. A hands-on edition of Ask Pastor Mike. As Christian parents, of course we want to parent God's way, but it's not like there are Bible verses about Instagram, Snapchat, or YouTube. So we're going to consider biblical principles and think through how they apply to modern situations. You'll notice that a lot of the conversation is based on Pastor Mike's book, Raising Men, Not Boys. And at the end of the program, I'll explain how you can order a copy. But right now, let's join Pastor Mike, Carlin, and Executive Director, Jay Wharton. Thank you Dave. I am here
1: with Pastor Mike and Carlin again and we are talking about Raising Men Not Boys by Pastor Mike Fabares. Welcome guys. Good morning. How are you doing? Doing, doing well. Awesome. It's great to be here. Well, we've talked about a number of topics these last couple of Fridays and today I thought we'd get into a little dating and gaming and videos and screen time and things like that. Does that sound like fun? Mm, yeah, so fun. I, can't wait. I thought, you, I thought you'd like fantastic. that. Fantastic. <laughs> Well, I'm sure for your two boys, you guys told them, hey, you guys can't date until you're 30 years old, right? That's, that's what every parent oh, tells their kid, right? Y- no. Well, <laughs> that
2: is not what we told our kids. Matter What's wrong fact, with that statement? And I'm sure people thought we were crazy, right? Because we were from the very early age, and, and adopting what we say in the first chapter of this book, that we really think you've got to envision your kid's future every day. We talked about their marriage. We talked about their parenting from the youngest of ages. I mean, it was just a normal part of our conversation with them. You are one day going to be a dad. You're one day going to be a husband. You're one day going to, you know, manage your own house. And um, it was just a part of our discussion and we set them up for that.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. And then when they, you know, got to the point where it might be a reality on the horizon, it wasn't shocking right. to talk about it.
2: Right. And even dating. I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot of minefields there, obviously, but... Um, and I, I wrote that chapter about living in a world half full of women, and I said, it's one of the strategies, not only in the early part of the book, I talk about, we don't like to talk about our kids being married or adults because we want to hold on to them as long as we can, and that pet analogy, they're not our playthings, right? They're, they're arrows to shoot in the next generation, so that's a bad strategy, but... When it comes to our fear of them in in terms of, of, of their sexual purity or whatever, uh, again, another strategy is to say, well, we're, we're not going to let them date. We're not going to let them—we don't, we don't want them to think about that aspect of life. But you're fighting a losing battle, as I try to write in that chapter. The hormonal storm that is brewing and raging in your teenager, we need to help them think about a virtuous and godly direction for all of that, assuming they're not kingdom singles, and not— cease, you know, and pretend uh, that this part of their future is not a reality, but can encourage them to think rightly about it and prepare them for it.
3: Absolutely. And then it's an an inevitable part of them growing up. And uh, in fact, I think Don't we want to be the voice that tells them the truth about it?
2: That's a great way to put it, because if a parent takes the common strategy I hear so often, especially in Christian circles, we're never going to talk about them getting married. We're never going to talk about them dating. We're always going to put this off. Then we become silent or negative on the topic, while their their natural development is is heading in that direction, their hormones are heading in that direction, and the culture is constantly feeding that. So we end up forfeiting all the opportunity to speak into this particular area of their lives with wisdom and guidance and direction. So to know that their parents think that it is positive, that they are going to be attracted to, to, to women, that they're going to want to find a, a romantic uh, uh, person to fall in love with, all of those things, we want to anticipate that with a positive perspective, anticipating it in our discussion, and then being able to direct that, of course, because sex and, and hormones are obviously a volatile area of their lives, but we want to be able to, to help them, guide them, manage them, coach them through that period of their lives.
3: Absolutely. And if we wait until they've left our home for them to realize that part, which will be a super important part of their life. Right. Uh if we wait till they're out of our home that we don't get that interaction that daily interaction and discussion about it where we can actually come alongside them and help them make good decisions about it so
1: in terms of girls and dating how did you train your
2: boys to treat women right well, I do talk about that in the chapter and just trying to understand that women are not objects for your own pleasure and gratification I know the hormones will make it appear that way in your bloodstream, but your uh, dealing with a very special creation of God. You know, and I go back to Genesis, I look at what goes on there. Here is a special creation of God after all the creative order was completed. God did it obviously for a purpose and, are, and the sequence was for a reason that these women are to be understood as a uh, uh, the gender to, to to be valued, to be set on a pedestal, to be treated with respect.
3: Right, and that starts when they're little too. They're not treating you know the girls at church or at school like they're icky or Like they can't talk to them or they couldn't have a conversation or, or even, you know, play on the, play a game with them or something. So it's, it's not avoiding them, but treating them with the respect.
1: So you did not... Limit them to not dating in high school or things like that. You allowed them to go out on dates and have girlfriends. So How did that work out? What what kind of things did you talk about right. when you were? I think when when they it, were getting
2: involved. Dating in is such a um, and a date. Let's just define that. I mean, I know there's this big courtship wars and all that, but a date is a something I put on the calendar to say I'm going to uh, you know meet at a certain time in a place and and have a uh, a meeting. <laughs> uh, of course, we're concerned, just like every other parent. They don't end up in the backseat of a car having sex and losing their virginity. All this. Of course, we we care about all that. But when we said, listen, we know you're gonna have to live in a world uh, half full of women, and one of those women is probably going to be your future spouse. We want you uh, to learn to interact with women in a respectful, godly, self-controlled way. And one of the ways I think to do that while they're still under our home is to guide them through that process of those social engagements. Of course we want them to be in public, we want them to be at you know in the, the right place. We want them to deal properly with the parents of that of that gal. But we walk them through those steps and talk very positively about that and uh made sure everything's above board. When you have a, a culture and it could be in your church or youth group where this is looked down upon or it's scary to everyone, well then you have got kids that go underground in their feelings. They go underground and they become very, uh, you know, uh, covert about what they're going through in their hearts and their minds, and it's not healthy. It's not good. It's not right. I want them to be above board. When they start liking a girl at church, I, I want to talk about it. I want to walk them through the process. I want to say, okay, well, here's here's the, the the parameters, the do's and don'ts, and every parent's going to set those parameters a little differently. But as I say from the beginning of the book, I don't want to be a fear-based parent. I want to make sure that my rules and my direction, my guidance, my code. my guidance, my Coaching is getting them in a direction that is positive, and it's not based on well. If I let this happen, then this might happen. Well, I want to deal with a, this might happen very clearly in my exhortation and training my kids. But I, I certainly want to walk them through the process of meeting up at the coffee shop, having that first meeting, and with our kids, you know, meeting with the parents even, you know, uh, and the dad saying, you know, I'd like to, to, to see your daughter socially. I'd like to. And these are the processes that every parent goes through, and I don't get into all the details obviously in the book. Every parent's got to figure those details out. Out. But I do want them, and the principles I think are positive and, and biblical and godly, is to speak positively about it like the Bible does, and then to use your parental wisdom in guiding them through it, like the book of Proverbs has so much to say about this aspect of their
1: lives. So much has changed, obviously, in dating since you and Carlin had been dating. We had telephones and you saw each other, but now we've got devices that we can text, right. we can FaceTime, and a myriad of other things. How did technology play in your household, and how did you Mm. counsel your children, your boys,
2: on that? Right. Well, we did allow technology, but we were careful about how they could... Um, utilize that. Of course, there were limits. You know, we don't want to sit sitting there at the table texting people. We don't want, you know, there's times to do without this at night or your room or whatever. You can't use these things when we're doing other things, and they need to be used within the parameters that uh, we think are reasonable. And, you know, with some kids that we have, you know, it was obvious the expectation was there, and, and they weren't as attracted to that technology as others. So, you know, depending on the kid, you're going to have to put some strictures in place and some parameters in place to find that does not become a controlling aspect of their lives. Kids need to be outside as we talk about early in the book and be out there dealing with, you know, sweating and running around. And socially, they need to be face-to-face and in meetings and side-by-side and and in small groups. So I don't want screen time and interaction through Snapchat and all these other things to replace human interaction. And so that's what we're trying to push our kids to. You're not going to stay home when it's small group time. You're not going to stay home when it's time to have a friend over uh, or, or I should say, uh, you know, you're not going to stay. You're not going to stay away from that meeting. Uh, we want FaceTime. We want real human interaction, and we know that text stuff can be an artificial um, replacement and substitute for that. It's not healthy.
3: But we had, you know, basic rules of just courtesy. You're not texting someone after a certain time. Of night, you know, we had our we decided together what that time would be. Um, just like we wouldn't call someone right. after a certain time at sure. night. It's courtesy to you know not only the girl that they like or the or the friends that they're texting, but to the parents of the person. And in fact, parents was a big part of our plea to them in texting and technology. Was uh, you know you, we all understand that once you click send, right. That message is out there in cyberspace and it has a life of its own.
2: We've had that conversation so many
3: times. Oh, anything so many you times. send.
2: I and I remember sitting there with my boys. Anything you send. Picture it plastered up on the walls of the church yeah picture your your girlfriend's dad reading it absolutely picture me reading it because I'm gonna read it I would put the fear of God and in, in them listen it's gonna be you don't send anything and I don't care what technology you have you think this stuff disappears it doesn't disappear and I got plenty of examples of that and anytime someone and of course leading a larger church anytime I see something like snapchat uh, you know blow up some issue in some teens life I'm gonna share that at the table I may not share the names but I remind them and I put the fear of God in them, that everything you put out there on any format through any app, it can be fully transparent in public. Nothing's a secret. And we had that conversation a million times.
1: That is such an important truth to remember where you're having a phone call and it's a he said, she said, now it's out there for the world to That's see right. and you're like you said it never goes it never away. Never goes away.
3: And it can always be sent and copied and pasted and manipulated. So we were always cautious telling our sons, whatever you send out there, just imagine that everybody in your youth group knows it. Everybody.
2: Right. And see in a home where a parent is parenting and it's not a child-centered home, You know, It may sound old-fashioned, but there are things to remind them of. You bear my last name. Uh, This is not about you and your reputation. This is about the reputation of our family. And maybe even added, of course, as a pastor of a church, and they know I'm more of a visible figure, but I remind them of it. You bear my name. You are uh, not making decisions about your phone or your messages or your texts just for yourself. That affects the family. That affects all of us. And so just to give them that sense of dignity and responsibility that they don't just live unto themselves. themselves is helpful. And that's what Paul's argument is. Whenever he deals with these issues of gray areas or issues of liberty, he says, you don't live under yourself. And and I think it's good for a child to recognize that uh, you represent the whole family when you make decisions about what you're texting.
3: And especially, I mean, think about the thrust of the book was, a lot of it is about your son preparing to have a relationship with God. And certainly all this goes double and triple if they're professing Christ, if they're getting up and leading in their youth group, if they're standing up before the church and getting baptized, if they're making some kind of profession, even before they're you know, high school friends, you're going to destroy your reputation and Christ's witness by what you text, by what you do on your dates with your girlfriend. I mean, you do not want to sully the name of Christ. This is even beyond our family. This is Jesus Christ is the person you're representing. So if you have that element in your son's life, there's even more to talk about and encourage them in.
1: We just were talking a little bit about phones and Snapchat and other social media type things. What about games on the phones, games in the home, screen time in general? What have you seen in the culture, and how did you train your
2: your boys up in that area? Well, it's funny, because when they go off to college, and they get to the dorms or whatever, and they see their peers playing games, I mean, they, they recognized how differently they were raised. Not that we didn't allow them to have games or game consoles, and we did with limited times and all of that. But, you know, I remember every time, not every time, but often, I'd see them playing games. I'd say, enjoy it. Games are for kids. You won't be a kid very long. You know, I I would just give them that sense of perspective that that we're not going to be a professional gamer and you're not going to be playing games as an adult. And even recently, we've had conversations with our college age kids about, you know, just recognizing uh, the sense that they said, well, I I can't even see my dad doing this and and they want to be adults. And so there's a sense in which they find games as a um, age appropriate engagement with their childhood. And that's not the way gaming is today. I mean, video games, a huge industry, and it's targeting people that are like, I don't know, 17 to 35. I've done this research before, but it's certainly not children. These are adults and lots of marriages and lots of uh, postponed adolescents that are you know in their basements and not getting married, not advancing and, product and, and commencing with productivity in their lives. Uh, gaming is the problem. So gaming was always limited. The kinds of games they could play, the ghoulish stuff, the kids chopped off, all that we're not, we're not going to let you play any of that. Uh, and I limited, finally, through, and I talk about this in the book, some mistakes I think I made in, in giving too much allowance in gaming, finally kind of narrowed it down to, fine, you get the golf game, you get the football game, you get the baseball game, you get the soccer game. We'll let you do those and collect those as grandma and grandpa give you gifts at Christmas. But they've had gifts given to them. I've said, I'm sorry, you're taking that to the gaming store, you're returning it, because that's just not the kind of game we're going to have in this household.
3: Right. Right. Yeah. But, you know, it sounds like we're not into games or fun. I just think that the fun and the games that we had, most of it, not all of it, but most of it we did together or we did, you did with a person. We have a ping pong table, right. you know, because we played games with a person, not with a machine. And we play golf as a family and we go out and we actually interact with each other as we're on the golf course playing a game, right. even if they had friends over. Let's get the ping pong going, you yeah. know, let's play games together. Let's do whatever.
2: And even sports. A video about-
3: game together with yeah. other people.
2: And because I let them play a lot of these video games that were sports-based, even the sports as a as a hobby, and I'm not opposed to that, um, but they recognize even an engagement in following every stat of every baseball player, which they did as kids and they were all into that, they recognize now as adults, you know, this can't be a dominant part of my life. I got bigger, important, more important things to do. And I'm not saying for the guy out there that follows every stat, this is a sinful issue. But I think as I was raising my kids, I want them to realize that these are things that you enjoy perhaps to develop parts of your life. And they may be a, a, an ancillary hobby as an adult, but they have to take a real backseat to important issues of life. You find gratification in other things other than keeping track of every you know, stat on ESPN.
3: Right, and actually part of that, I mean, I hate to say, it, but part of the reason why some men play so many games is because not only do they not have wives and children, but they're also not serving in the body of Christ. You serve in the body of Christ as a regular on a regular basis. Besides your work and your family, you're going to be your life is going to be full of people and caring for them, and you will find that you have very little time for these superfluous hours of games. Not that you can't have fun in a reasonable amount of time, but it will just not become such an issue because your life is full of caring for real human beings,
2: right? And there is, there's, and as she said, there's always time for recreation. There's always time for refreshment, but it's scheduled time. And as I say in the book, we rest so that we work, right? We don't work for Friday so that we can rest. You know, we're not living for the weekend, as the song says. So we, we we do train them that there's an appropriate time for getting away, playing golf, playing ping pong, doing whatever, even playing a video game, I guess. But we do try to recognize there's certain kinds of games that are, are kid stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I'd much rather see my boys throwing the football around uh, as as adults than sitting in front of a game console, uh, you know, trying to kill people on the battlefield or whatever the, the game is they're playing.
1: Well, Pastor Mike, as we finish up here today's session, we've talked about a lot of topics over the last uh, three weeks here Maybe you could speak a little bit about the book and in terms of where parents are at, maybe they haven't been doing this with their kids so far, maybe they're just getting started, maybe they've got kids out of the house. How can your book help those people in all those different stages? Is it ever
2: too early to start or ever too late to start? Well, as I sat and wrote this book, um, I would pray often that it would be a very helpful book for parents, no matter where they're at, and even for grandparents, that it'd be the kind of book that would give them some... You know, as I say, the fleshing out of the biblical principles in ways they go, oh, I could take that nugget, I could put that to work, I could see where that would help advance the cause of maturity and, and, and godliness and manliness in my, in my son or my grandson. So, you know, ideally, I guess it'd be great to start with a clean slate. It'd be great to have this book in hand as you're taking your baby home from the hospital uh, and, and you'd be able to start at the beginning. But I do think there are principles here. As I've had many people who've, you know, seen the pre-release copy, and you know, it's just coming out now, obviously. So they've said to me, "Listen, there are things I can get in this, even though my kids, I can take from this, even though my kids are 16, 17 years old." Um, and I, I do think, too, no matter what we feel like we may have done wrong or, or missed out on, uh, we always have an opportunity to influence children. And in our church, you've got lots of opportunities, and I hope everyone listening has got a church home and a church family where they can get involved in helping the next generation. Because I want to think not just in terms of my family, my four four walls, which is critically important if you have opportunity to parent there right now, but even if you don't, maybe you're an empty nester, your kids have moved on, how can you help this next generation by volunteering in your church, by taking a real interest in the teens in your your church, by getting kids' names on a prayer list that you're praying for every day. These are important things that every church needs, is a whole generation of godly people investing in, in the next generation. I think of the young Spurgeon writing in his autobiography about the most encouraging thing for him as a young person in his church was having these old seasoned saints giving wisdom about what it means to follow Christ and be faithful to Christ. Um, and grandparents, as you know, my wife and I share when we get a chance to speak at various places about this topic, our grandparents both played a very critical role in our spiritual development. Development as kids. And we think grandparents can do a great, you know, um, can be a great asset to the development of their children.
3: Yes, absolutely. It's never too late to invest in. Young people, whether you're related to them biologically or not, definitely investing in young people and investing in other parents who are in the trenches, I think is key too. getting this resource in their hand, praying for them and being behind them as they try to put some of these nuggets into practice.
2: A lot of what we did together as parents was used in my mind to get a lot of these principles in, in, in down in paper. And I know, uh, you know when the book came out, you're sitting down reading this and excited to see what's in it. And I don't think anything was a surprise in it, because a lot of this was birthed out of how we put God's principles and truth to work in in, uh, in our parenting. Well, I've been
1: talking to Pastor Mike Fabares and his wife, Karlyn. Thank you so much for being here. The book is Raising Men, Not Boys by Pastor Mike Fabares, and you can get it at Focal Point, and Dave is
0: going to let you know how you can do that. Yeah, thanks, Jay. Carlin, always a joy to have you with us. Now, as Jay mentioned, if you enjoyed today's discussion, you can purchase your own copy of Pastor Mike's book, Raising Men, Not Boys, Shepherding Your Sons to Be Men of God. There's so much more wisdom in this book we didn't have time to cover today, so you'll definitely want to have a copy on your shelf. It's available today on our website, focalpointradio.org. But remember, it's not the purchase of resources that fuels this ministry. It's generous donations from people like you that allow us to continue bringing daily teaching to the radio and web. So when you purchase the book, would you also add a donation to help us reach more men and women with solid, expository Bible teaching? When you do, we'll say thanks with another book by Pastor Mike. But this one isn't for you. It's for your teenager. It's a study called Beyond Bible Basics. This in-depth study will equip your teen to stand for Christ as they head off to college and into adulthood. This is a fantastic way to help your child or grandchild feel more confident studying God's Word for themselves. Ask for Beyond Bible Basics when you donate today by going to focalpointradio.org or by calling 888-320-5885. And when your donation is $75 or more, we'll also send you a study for elementary-aged children called Bible Survey for Kids. With fun drawing assignments to solidify the lessons in your child's mind, this study walks through all 66 books of the Bible, summarizing the key themes and characters. It's never too early to begin training your kids to know God's Word. Ask for the Bible Survey for Kids when you make a generous donation by calling 888-320-5885 or by going to focalpointradio.org. You can also send your gift in the mail to Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. Well, I'm Dave Druey, inviting you back next time as we continue exploring the depths of Scripture. But right now, here's Pastor Mike with a closing thought.
2: You know, in all my years of discipling, coaching parents, the one thing I think every dad and mom shares is the desire to see their kids grow up to who they should be in Christ, who God made them to be. You see, your little boy was not entrusted to you to just bring you joy and to fulfill you, make you happy, though I hope he does. I mean, the point really is an assignment from God, a temporary assignment to prepare him to take his place in this world as an agent of God's values and priorities in this upcoming generation. Your job is to point him, to launch him, to propel him to make a strategic impact for the Lord's good purposes. Romans 12, two says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God is what is good and acceptable and perfect that's the goal raise him for God raise him for God's glory
0: today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries